Steve here. And Larson. And welcome back to Going In Raw Countout. Countout. It's the top 10 wrestling show for now on this channel. So we count down wrestling stuff. It's available right here at youtube.com forward slash Steven Larson and available wherever podcasts can be found. Uh, so, uh, yeah. We're also on the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Steven Larson. We have a variety of reward tiers over there. If you want to listen to the show ad free, uh, if you want to watch it or listen to it, you can actually import at $1 on the Patreon. You can import uh, your RSS feed. So this show plus any bonus episodes you might be eligible for at your reward tiers into your favorite podcast app, as long as it's not Spotify. All the other ones, Apple, CastBox, uh, Podbean. Yeah. Is that one? Podbean? Stitcher. Stitcher. You can import an RSS feed into any of those podcast apps. Get it directly from the Patreon. One dollar. No ads. No ads. No ads. Yeah. We even chop out, which actually kind of makes me sad. We chop out the the funny ad reads that we do. Yeah. Sometimes we do funny ad reads. But such are the perks of being a a patron. You don't listen to them. Yeah. If you want to listen to them, you can. You just have to do the other one. Yeah. Anyways, this is a count out. Uh, let's talk about uh, weird wrestling titles, of course. Well, not titles, st- stories about titles. Yeah. Well, this past week, uh, Chris Jericho went and had a delicious steak. I hope it was delicious. Well, it was at a chain restaurant, so who knows? At a chain restaurant and, uh, and left his AEW world title, sorry, AEW title, uh, in the limo. Limo driver went to the airport to return to, uh, uh, some luggage that yeah. Jericho mistakenly picked up, came back to pick up Jericho title gun. Yeah. Then it was found on the side of the road. We're going to get into that later. I feel like we already, that's pretty much it. But yeah, well, there was a little bit more. Bubbly. Bubbly. We just should have done top 10 bubbly memes. That's why I said that. Really. My initial I idea, know, man. that's what we should have done. Number one Brock Lesnar one. We should just put that together as a compilation. We want to boost ourselves just to put together a compilation. There put it on our channel. Are we going to credit anybody? I mean, it's kind of the popular thing not to. I know, but we're we're trying to be a respectful channel Oh, no, here. we totally would. That was we a joke. Would. We totally yeah, would. Yeah, it was a joke, I know. So anyways. Uh, we're not doing top 10 bubbly memes. Although that Adam Cole bubbly, that might That's be my new no, favorite. No, Brock Lesnar was the best. <laughs> we're here to talk about weird pro wrestling title stories. So given how weird the industry of pro wrestling is, Very. Uh, it's not surprising that uh, the actual physical manifestation of success in the world of wrestling, the title uh, would, would, would feature in weird stories. We need one of these to enhance stories. Where's our title? I'm going to go get our title. I'll get our title. So far, well, title is what you give somebody when you want to make them your champion. When you say, hey, wrestler, uh, we want to put, we think you're tops. We think you're aces. You make money for us. We're going to put title on you so you make more money for us and therefore hopefully yourself. Everybody's wondering when we're going to use this for predictions. Are we going to start putting us on the line for predictions? I mean, what's the, what's the point? It's going to stay here regardless. You know what we should do? We should start like challenging people who aren't in the office. We'll send them the title if they win it. Let's put this up against Brian Zane's. I don't want because no. No? Christy put a lot of work into that. Yeah, he did. Anyways. I don't want to put that up on the line. No. Right. Well, you and I will put it on the line then. You, it's me, gonna stay Cal here Hilton. You, me, Cal Hilton. It's going to stay here regardless. Cal might wear this out and about when he's That's doing true. wrestling That's shows. true. So That's true. something to consider. True. Anyways, if Anyways. people want to see it, it doesn't matter where it's going to stay. It's right there. Let's just do it. Let's see it on the show. Let's just do it. All right, let's, go, let's do number 10. Number 10. Number 10. Weird wrestling stories. Uh, what is this? The Montreal Screwjob. Yeah, this is the most like, well-known, uh, famous, infamous, if you will, 
uh, wrestling title story because essentially, uh, in short, we've talked about this situation basically ad nauseum. Everybody knows the story. Uh, Bret Hart got released from WWE contract because Vince didn't want to pay him because he was old and boring. Yeah. Um, so he said, uh, Bret, hey. <laughs> Bret, <clears throat> I want you to go sign with WCW. Nay. And Bret's like, no, I don't want to. And Vince is like, no, seriously, I can't pay you. Uh, you're you're <laughs> no you're, seriously. You're too expensive. <laughs> no, really. Uh, this company's going somewhere else, and you're not a part of it. Go sign with WCW and get that cash. And Brett's like, okay. okay. And so the problem was that Brett was champion at the time. Yeah. And part of his contract was that he had a creative control over his last 60 days, I believe. Yeah. And so there's a pay-per-view coming up uh, in Montreal, Survivor Series 97. And Bret Hart got a hair up his ass about dropping the fake title. Well, he doesn't like Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels doesn't like him. Uh, there's personal beef got in the way of business. Um, it kind of seemed like if, if Brett had faced anybody else, he probably would have dropped it. Yeah, probably. Um, I mean, I, if, if there's so many conflicting stories and, and outright misinformation about all this. Um, and granted, the, there is a new light shown on this particular incident after Dark Side of the Ring. Yeah. The about it, yeah. courtesy of Jim Cornex. I believe that was more or less the first time, at least... In a, on a large platform that we've heard his perspective on the whole sure. thing. Yeah. You know, he admitted that he was the one that came up with the idea of screwing Brett out of the title because mm, yeah. he was referencing something that happened in like Toronto or Montreal, like the 1930s, 1930s or something, yeah. like one of the first wrestling screw jobs. And of course, mm. this isn't; those aren't the only two examples. We had a, a fabulous Moolah as the Spider, the spider. Uh, 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 involved in the screw job, get the title off Wendy Richter over yeah. a contract dispute. Anyways. Brett was, or sorry, Vince was convinced that he had to get that title off Brett that night. Yeah. Um, so WCW couldn't uh, say, hey, we signed WWE champion Bret Hart. Um, WWE, yeah, Vince was scared that uh, Eric Bischoff would try to pull the same business like he did with, uh, with Medusa. Yeah, we'll get to that a little bit later. Which we'll get to later. And they were worried that Brett would show up uh, at Nitro with the title. He couldn't. He had, he had more time left on his contract, and actually Bischoff gave him an extra week so he can drop the title the next pay-per-view. Yeah, well, Vince is paranoid. And on top of that, according to Eric Bischoff, there was no chance of that happening anyways. Beyond that stuff, they weren't going to do that again because WWF like, sued them, and they weren't looking to get into more trouble because that's just a pain in the butt. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so yeah, uh, Vince was like, nah, we got to take this title off. Brett was uh, pretty stubborn about it, pretty hard-headed about it. Uh, he was like, hey, man, I've got... assassination. Yeah, you know, I can't do that in Canada. You know, nay. And so, so uh, I look like a horse's ass, you know. Nay. <laughs> and, uh, and so Vince was like, well, I'm going to get my brain trust together and figure something out. Like you said, Jim Cornette said, why don't we just screw him out of the title? Vince Russo apparently was in the bathroom at the time. Yeah. Uh, and then... Uh, but then the part of that, that pitch meeting at Vince's house, uh, Cornette brought it up. And didn't hear anything else about it till the show started. Until <laughs> it was happening. Until it happened, and he realized, oh, man, they totally just did this. And then he thought that somebody might know that it was his idea, so he left. Yeah. And he, he like, saw Earl have. They were both two guys, like, trying to get away in the middle of the night. Running to their cars to leave the parking lot of the arena. Yeah, they had getaway heat. <laughs> getaway heat, yes. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Uh, so, I mean, this is, this is one of the instances of recent memory I can think of where kind of like the old school mentality of pro wrestling mm-hmm. uh, was in full effect in the modern day. Yeah, it used to be it used to be this is all this stuff is a work, but we need to make sure that title's on somebody who can handle a shoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, 
George Hackenschmidt back in 1905. Luthez. Yeah. We'll get the, to that later, too. Those were, like, real shooters who, back in, like, Hackenschmidt's day, it was all, it was It was mainly, it was, it was a shoot back then. Everything was, like, real back then because he was, like, you know, legit. But they would have him do, I was reading up on this the other day, the promoters would have him put on a show for people so when they'd bring in local competitors, they wouldn't be squash matches, even though he could easily squash them like that. Uh, he would let them put up a bit of a fight, and then you know he would end up winning. The irony of the Montreal screw job is if anybody in that match was a shooter, a legit wrestler, it was the one that got screwed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I thought that was interesting. I think it was Cornette mentioned the dark side of the ring. How uh, if 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 one of the reasons that apparently went the way it did is because of Brett spoke about it, he'd be exposing the business. The reason Cornette knew it would work. And he wouldn't do that. He knew Bret Hart's nature, and that was he's not going to talk about it as if it's fake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which mm-hmm. is which is incredibly smart, which is odd because Jim Cornette these days seems to be the opposite of that. But anyways, moving on. Number nine. Nine. Medusa's garbage trash. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> See, I'm seeing all these lower thirds for the first time along with the audience. One man's trash. Is another man's WCW World yes. Women, or WWF Women's World Title. So, uh, Lundra Blay, she debuted in WWF in 93. In between 1993 and 1995, uh, she was almost uh, constantly the women's champion. She dropped it a few times, always picked double it back tough. up. Double tough. She's yeah. double tough. Always man. picked it back up. Yeah. Um, Former member of the Dangerous Alliance mm-hmm. back in her prior stint in WCW. Anyways, December of 95, uh, J.J. Dillon informs her that she has been released via letter. Mm-hmm. Um, she spoke about this on a that JBL show, Legends with JBL, correct? Yeah, yeah. How she, how she was heartbroken, but she eventually got past it. And who dials her up on the telephone? Yeah, Eric, Eric Bischoff. Bischoff oh. And says, hey, do you still have that title? She says, yeah. And he says, why don't you bring it to Nitro this week and you toss it in the garbage? Yeah. And, and, and Medusa's like, all right, fine, but I need to get it back so I can get back to Vince. Mm-hmm. And he's like, all right, fine, whatever. Um, so on the uh, December 18th, 1995 edition of Nitro, uh, Medusa shows up at commentary, drops a really awkward promo because you can tell she's super uncomfortable about what she's about to do. Yeah, man. Uh, picks up a little garbage can, tosses a woman's title in it, says she's in WCW. Uh, this is where the big girls play now because mm-hmm, yeah. she's there. Yeah. And what happens? Did she run roughshod over the women's division upon her arrival in WCW? Not really. No. No. She was in a, a program with Sherry Martell. I think she at least lost one match of that. They brought in a Bull Nakano, mm-hmm. who she had a feud with at WWF. Uh, I don't think she exactly won that either. Uh, she reached the finals of a tournament to crown a new WCW Women's Champion at Star K 96. She lost that mm. to Akira Hokuto. Uh, and then there was a subsequent rematch at Great American Bash. Um, uh, she lost that too, and then took two years off. <laughs> yeah, and so then it's... returned in '99 as a member of Team Madness. Mm-hmm. Remember Team Madness? Yeah, yeah, I do remember Team Macho Madness. Man. Yeah, it's. I don't remember necessarily how she was like used there because she seems like she shouldn't be in somebody's groupie troop because that was Team Madness was. Um, it was a uh, uh, gorgeous George, yeah, and Macho Man, and Macho Man, and then Medusa was in it, and there was one other, wasn't there? And there was one other person. Forgot who it was, but uh, it's funny because I remember watching back then. She like did she won like the Cruiserweight Champion Championship, I think, at one point. Um, 
But yeah, it, it was kind of strange. They didn't really use her. Like they, why? It's it's kind of bizarre. Like given that she, I think in Japan had wrestled some intergender stuff. Why didn't they use her to counter China in terms of like WWF has China? They're sort of featuring her as like the intergender. She won the men's titles and stuff know, like that. I know. Like you could have done that with Medusa, which they kind of flirted with in the cruiserweight division. But man, if anybody could have stood up to the men's division. It could have been her. It could have been legit, yeah. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and, yeah, and people totally. would have accepted it. It totally. could have been her. That could have been cool. Yeah. Uh, she was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame a few years back. She brought her WWF Women's title with her, um, had it on stage and said, you know, finally, this is home where it belongs. Mm-hmm, yeah. So that was a cool moment. It was. And you could tell, you could tell that was really heartfelt. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she probably regretted it like an instantly. Yeah, yeah. She said several times that she regretted doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's uh, now a, a former 24 7 champion as well. That's true. And she also uh, she drives uh, monster trucks. Oh, that's cool. Really seems like a, a fantastic yeah, man. post wrestling career move. Yeah. Driving monster trucks. Yeah, she's super tough. She's yeah. cool, man. Yeah. Anyways, moving on. Number eight. Eight. Mike Awesome. This was a weird situation. This is a very weird situation. So, uh, uh, See, and this is also the first one that I can. Oop, this one here you go. That I can think of that stemmed from wrestlers not getting paid. You want to almost ensure that your championship is going to be held up, held hostage. Don't pay the guy who has it. Yeah, there's a couple of instances I believe in this list where that's the case. So, uh, Mike Awesome, he was in and out of ECW. I remember when we first started watching it in 98, first time he showed up throwing people around the ring, he was something else. He had the best powerbomb. Yeah, he had an awesome powerbomb. Yeah, bomb. it was great. Um, this is after he uh, had been in Japan wrestling there for a while. Uh, his uh, his rival in ECW, Masato Tanaka, mm-hmm. that guy was awesome too. They had, and they had a classic few. Several yeah. classic matches. Yeah. Anyways, September, or at uh, 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 ECW Anarchy Rules, He's in a triple threat match against Taz and Tanaka. He wins ECW title. Um, and then uh, he has the belt for a while. And then he shows up WCW yeah. April 10th, 2000. But hey, what, hold on. He's still ECW champion. He's ECW champion. He shows up in WCW. He did not, if I recall correctly, he didn't. He didn't have the title though, right? Not on him, no. Not on him. They no. they elected not to do that because again, lawsuits probably lawsuits galore. Um, according to Lance Storm, uh, Mike Awesome apparently didn't want to sign a new deal with ECW because Paul Heyman owed him a bunch of money. Yeah, if you go back and look at, I think it's in the bankruptcy filings, maybe that it outlines how much he owed to various with Rob Van Dam. It was wasn't insane. It, like, it was six it was like, figures, wasn't it? I think it was. Was it that one? I thought it was sixty thousand, but it might oh, have been maybe. way more. I thought it was one hundred and sixty. Oh my god, I could be off. Yeesh. So, anyways, uh, a deal was struck. So, what would happen is there's an ECW event in uh, Indianapolis, and so Mike Awesome would defend the ECW title, uh, joined by WCW security, mm-hmm. and take on Taz, a former ECW champion in his own right. However, at this moment. He was no longer an ECW wrestler. He was a member of the WWF roster, WWE roster. So we have a WCW contracted wrestler taking on a WWE contracted wrestler at the height of the Monday Night Wars yeah. for the ECW championship. That's crazy. Weird. That is so weird. So Taz beat him to get the ECW title off him. Mm-hmm. And then roughly a week later, 
uh, he dropped it to Tommy Dreamer, mm-hmm. and then he dropped it about a half hour later to Just Incredible. Yeah, weird ECW stuff. Really weird. So uh, it's just, I think that's the only instance where, a, unless yeah. it happened in Japan or something, where a wrestler from one company fought a wrestler in another company in a third company. Yeah, unless it happened in Japan or something, I'm not aware of. I think that at least on U.S. soil, that's probably the only time this ever. Well, happened. it's it's most certainly the highest profile. Yes, I mean if the, yeah, this might have happened in some you know if in Japan if at some point. You know, the three of the largest in New Japan, All Japan, and somebody, I don't know, Big Japan, all were on the same page, which I'm not sure if that ever happened, and did that somewhere. I mean, we had, um, there was a Super Clash, which was like a joint promotion yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, with like that was AWA. Se- that was several territories. In WCCW, maybe. Yeah, NWA. Yeah. You know, Sphere. Yeah. And they, I mean, that, but that was like a, a, a joint yeah. promotion thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This wasn't two wrestlers from two competing companies facing off in a third promotion. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of crazy. Yeah. But it's funny because at that point in 2000, um, it, it seemed kind of obvious that like WWF would be cool with that, knowing that their employee was going to win and WCW was in such a state that it's like, yeah, well, might as well let him do it. Yeah, pretty you know? much. Yeah. Pretty much. Uh, yeah, no, I don't know. I, I, I try to look up very briefly how much he actually owed. Um, and I don't, oh wait, hold on. Bubba Ray Dudley on how much money. Oh no, that's not it. Indie wrestlers can make. No, never mind. That's not it. But anyways, anyways, let's just move on. Yeah, move on. Number seven. Seven. AEW's title theft. This sounds, this sounds very recent, Larson. It does sound very recent. Just happened. Look, that's the plane you probably got on that landed mm-hmm. in Tallahassee mm-hmm. at, and then he went to the wrong terminal or got the wrong luggage from the terminal got the limo realized he had the wrong luggage yeah. told driver go back to terminal drop off luggage oh wow I think you might be right it says Paul Heyman owed Rob Van Dam 150000 oh wow that's a lot of money um, and then got back from his, his uh, steak dinner at Longhorn Steakhouse go back to the limo and find hey my belt's not here mm-hmm, yeah but I'm going to have some steak. I had steak, though, and a little bit of the bubbly. And a little bit of the bubbly. Just incredible, $8,000. Don Marie, $9,000. Wow. Uh, let's see here. Mikey Whipwreck, $12,000. Roadkill, $21,000. Goodness. Little Guido, $25,000. Francine, almost $50,000. Gee whiz. Shane Douglas, almost $50,000. There's another good Shane Douglas story. We're going to talk about that a yep. little bit. Uh, Rhino, 50, Rhino fifty thousand. Joey Styles fifty thousand. Tommy Dreamer a hundred thousand. Wow. RVD a hundred and fifty. Wow, he wasn't even tops. Oh, he owed Vince a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Paul Heyman owed Paul Heyman seven million dollars. Wow. Interesting. Wow. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home. It can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app 
answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So anyways. Anyways, talk more about Jericho. So uh, there's a police report issued. started making the rounds on Tuesday, I guess, even though the incident happened Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, AEW did a pretty good job capitalizing on it. Yeah. Jericho did a video saying that he's launching a worldwide investigation. Cody tweeted about it. Either Matt or Nick Jackson tweeted about it. It was Matt, yeah. Um, and then the following day, they found the belt along the side of the road. Somebody a, found it know, and turned it into the authorities. There was a, a picture posted on social media from the Tallahassee PD of a cop holding it up proudly. And they said, hey, AEW, we got it. Then that post was taken down. I think somebody probably got in trouble. Maybe. Like, hey, we're a police department. No goofing around here. I know. You know, this is an open investigation. What are you doing? I know. Sorry. That was, that was good publicity for us. You know, like, no, be professional. Be professional, darn it. Open investigation. This is a serious crime. Put that bubbly down. It's a theft. Yeah, man. I have a private vehicle. That's grand, grand larceny, isn't it? I think there's a certain. Well, I mean, that belt's worth thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, it's worth thirty thousand dollars. I think that's way above the uh, standard burglary. It's like five thousand, I think, yeah. usually something like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know exactly. But I'm not a thief, Larson. Nor am I. Or am I? Nor am I a criminal lawyer. Truth. Uh, so, belt's been found. Just a weird, random uh, series of events that seemed to happen right after the first world champion was 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 declared. I'd love to get a shoot interview with the person who found that title on the side of the road, because like I'm assuming they found it. Let's say let's assume they're not a wrestling fan. They find it. Google what is this AEW thing? Yeah. and they see all over social media, all over Google News, this title is missing. So they take it into the police department and turn that belt in. That's what they did. And now all is well. But the story is still open. Who stole that title? Did they wipe it? I'm assuming they wiped the title down. I would hope so. Yeah. Anyways. He did another video with the title back. Yeah. Jericho did. Good Drinking job. some of the bubbly. Bubbly. Number six. Six. The Snowman. Now, this is an interesting story because it involves a really cool feud that went down in mm-hmm. Memphis in 1990. It was Jerry Lawler. And uh, this gentleman's name... Eddie Crawford. Eddie Crawford. That's right. So, uh, basically, Eddie Crawford had trained with, uh, with uh, Jerry Lawler in the early 1980s. Uh, in, 19, in the mid-80s, he went to uh, Mid-South Wrestling, uh, where uh, the promoter Bill Watts had tried to basically make him another junkyard dog. And uh, that didn't really work. So, uh, he ended up... Back in uh, Memphis in uh, Jerry Lawler's promotion. Prior to that, he went on, uh, did like these press rounds where he would basically lob these sort of racist accusations towards Jerry Lawler. 
and uh, and that led to him showing up on uh, uh, Memphis, uh, the wrestling TV show there, uh, the USWA. Uh, and you know he sort of confronted Jerry Lawler, and this was kind of interesting because the whole thing it was it was work, but it was a very very well done work. Like they made it come off as very real. Mm-hmm. Even the TV presentation was a little bit different. They made it a bit more I don't know verite I guess, like not as polished as your normal TV presentation. When this stuff was happening, it was happening as if it was real. Um, and uh, and so anyways, this led to a feud between Jerry Lawler and uh, the snowman, Eddie Crawford, and, uh, and they, they feuded over the title. Yeah. Uh, a couple months later, into the summer, uh, Eddie Crawford ended up winning the title. Uh, however, unfortunately, uh, or to him anyways, Jerry Lawler didn't really cede the main event uh, position. Uh, the title matches would be going on. Second to last. Second to last, and of course Lawler's matches. He was, he was Jerry Lawler. Most you know popular guy in Memphis actually ran for mayor there once, um, and uh, this and, upset Eddie Crawford. Yeah, he wasn't happy about that for realsies this time, so uh, he decided to uh, just take the title and go defend in other places. Mm-hmm. So so he did that, and uh, I don't think he ever gave the title back. Uh, let's see here. It says here. So there's this great article that explains the entire thing. Uh, I'll put the link in the description. It's from Place to Be Nation dot com. And it has the entire story. It's pretty, it's pretty lengthy. One uh, funny little bit was that Leon Spinks refereed the match where the title change took place. Yeah. And there was a bit of a screw job. Part of this feud involved turning Lawler sort of from heel to face because he had been like a heel for like a year prior. It was a bug coming from mm-hmm. like a fruit fly or something. Get out of here. Get away from me. Anyways. Um, so, yeah, it involved Jerry Lawler. Sort of like he got sort of screwed out of the title by Leon Spinks because at one point he had him pinned and uh, Leon Spinks just sim- simply wouldn't count. Hmm. And then he had like a fast count to, to end up uh, having the title change over. Um, but there's all these weird sort of like racial dynamics at play as well, which just gave it a very visceral feeling. And it wasn't like uh, this really like from from. So granted, I didn't watch the entire thing, so I can't really say from my point of view. But everything I've read about it uh, made it come off like it was actually it wasn't handled like in a cartoonish, offensive manner. There was actually, you know, it actually felt more complex and more character based than, you know, say stuff that WWF was doing at the time um, or traditionally anyways. So. Uh, so, yeah, the feud ended. They had like four matches, I think. And even the matches were clunky, right? They were clunky. They sort of felt real. Like I did actually watch a portion of one of the matches and uh, yeah, it was just very messy. Like they were like trying to do shoot wrestling takedowns on each other. The punches were kind of awkward and felt more real. At one point, I think they like did one match where there was no ref involved because like the refereeing didn't really, like it was like they the refs didn't really know what to do in these situations. So um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it, it seemed it seemed interesting. This uh, this article you you reference mentions this. This is interesting. So after the snowman. Took his took the title and started defending it elsewhere. Apparently, his name wasn't mentioned on USWA USWA TV for like a month and a half. Mm. So, by September twenty second, when they announced the tournament would take place to crown a new champion, um, and I guess according to this, which gave Lawler an opportunity to talk about why the snowman left. Mm-hmm. Um, so Eddie Marlin was the matchmaker. He was the booker there, I guess, along with Lawler. Um, <clears throat> and on t- October sixth on their TV show. 
Eddie Marlin, uh, it says here, according to this article, famously accused Snowman of pawning the belt to a drug dealer, something that uh, Snowman insists was untrue and was merely a reference to him flippantly telling USWA promoters that he would sooner pawn the belt to a drug dealer than return it to them. So apparently that was his own words being used against him. But he was like, no, I wasn't serious about that. Yeah. I just, that was sort of a, an empty threat that I was making. Uh, it was more, uh, uh, you know, rhetorical. It was more rhetoric than anything. Yes, yes. And, and apparently the title never was recovered. Never recovered. So there might be some element of, of truth to him pawning it, but maybe at a proper pawn shop, perhaps. You'd think that even that would be tra- traceable. Maybe he's though. just in his basement or his attic or something. That could be. Maybe he's like, hey, you know what? They might take everything I have, but they're not going to take my time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. who knows? I mean, it was Memphis. They were making money hand over fist down there. Mm-hmm. So, they just whipped up a new title. It's good to go. And then a couple of years later, Jerry Lawler is on his way to WWF. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. Number five. Five. Here's where we get into some like cool like old-timey stories yeah, that like, I hadn't heard about. Number five, Stan Hansen, AWA world champion. So this is post-Hogan leaving, post-basically everybody leaving except for Nick Bockwinkle. It was, it was yeah, mid-AWA being kind of crappy. Yeah, it was, it was when they were really going down the downward spiral. Yeah, yeah. So um, they had been, I mean, AWA had been around since like 63. Yeah, in the 60s, 60s yeah. like that. But, uh, you know, by this time, yeah, like you said, WWF had just, I mean, if there was any promotion that really got it worse, from, or got it the worst from WWF from Vince McMahon sort of oh it's definitely AWA trying to destroy the territories it was clearly AWA yeah they had a Hogan they had a Heenan they had a, a, a Mean Gene mm-hmm. uh, a couple mm-hmm. others mm-hmm. and they just completely raided them at the height of Hogan's popularity and AWA uh, that height of popularity transferred directly over to WWF uh, and uh, AWA is left with a whole lot of nothing. Yeah. One thing they did have, though, was uh, Rick Martel, the model. Yeah. They tried to make him a big deal. Vern Gagne wanted to make him a big deal. That didn't work. That didn't really that didn't work out. Yeah. So, um, so title went on uh, Stan Hansen. Um, Stan Hansen, uh, at this time, and probably years prior and years after, massive name in Japan. Huge star in New Japan. He was working All for Japan. All Japan, giant baba. Yeah. And he was basically saying, hey. You know, you keep the money flowing. I'll do whatever you want, giant baba. Yeah. So uh, Stan Hansen took the AWA title and against Vern's wishes started defending the AWA title for all Japan. At this point, Stan Hansen was like, hey, giant baba, I've got this AWA world title. What would you like me to do with it? Pretty much. <laughs> and he was so, so at that point, uh, giant baba was just, he was just sort of dictating what would happen with the AWA title. Totally. And uh, this was unacceptable to Vern. So he decided to strip. Uh, sorry, he decided to have a match between Stan Hansen and and and, and Nick Bockwinkle, AWA mainstay. Yeah, Nick Bockwinkle. He was like, "Come back to town, and uh, we'll do a match, and you can uh, we'll, we'll take it off you." Yeah. And then, uh, so he either no showed it or he showed up and just didn't perform and left the yes. building. I like this particular story here. Uh, so he was there. He was he was told that he was going to drop the belt. And so Hanson yeah. got on the phone with Giant Baba and asked, hey, is losing the title cool or no? <laughs> Baba says, uh-uh, we got people for you to wrestle over here with title. Yeah. Don't drop it. Yeah. Um, so he no-showed the match. Whether he was in the building or not is, is, is up, up in the air. He stripped of the title. Uh, Bockwinkle was given one of the tag belts mm. and uh, started bu- being billed as the new AWA champion. So they took this title away 
And gave him, gave him so he this one. Off with that one. And Nick Bockwinkel has to carry this thing around. <laughs> right. So, of course, threats of legal action, lawsuits, so on and so forth. So, did Stan Hansen FedEx the belt back to Vern? No, he didn't. He uh, took it to his farm and drove over it with his truck several times until the title was dented in sent it back to Vern Gagne with a sternly worded letter, probably with some expletives written down as well. After all, Stan Hansen had a fat wife and nine kids to take care of. He didn't have time for these AWA shenanigans. Here's your dumb title. I don't even want it. And oh yeah, I ran it over. <laughs> Wrestling is so weird. It's a weird, weird industry. It's about to get weirder, Steve. Okay, well, let's do it. Number four. Four. Ron Garvin walks out. So this is way back in 1979, before Ron Garvin beat Ric Flair for the was, NWA title. I was a whole year old at that point. I was a couple. Yeah. So uh, he was wrestling for a promotion out of Knoxville, uh, NWA affiliate called Southeastern Championship Wrestling, I believe. Uh, he was one of the top baby faces over there. Um, he was a five-time champion. Something kind of interesting happened uh, when he won this fifth championship uh the next day he no showed a tv event oh my god it wasn't just him it was uh boris malenko uh-huh it was cowboy bob orton uh-huh. bob orton jr yeah boris malenko mm-hmm. and a gentleman named bob roop mm. the only one of these in this group of names i had not heard of mm-hmm. he had a long uh, history prior to this of working in creative booking for various uh, promotions, mm. and then try and do uh, uh, gather more power for himself. Yeah, man, he was conglomerating talent. He had a situation in the San Francisco territory. He was booking there. Uh, tried to stage a bit of a coup. Uh, ousted. Uh oh. Um, so he was upset. Bob Roop was that uh, uh, paydays were not what they should be, mm-hmm. given the, the the increase in attendance at the shows he was participating in. He was wondered. Where's the money at? Yep. I want the money. Yep. Um, and so he concocted this plan to uh, have himself, the aforementioned name, as well as champion Ron Garvin, mm-hmm. leave the promotion and start their own promotion in the Knoxville area mm-hmm. to compete against Southeastern Championship Wrestling. However, Dick Slater, who apparently got accidentally shot in the leg, overheard these plans while hanging out at Bob Root's house or apartment or something, and then relayed those plans to Eddie Graham, who then told the everything to promoter of Southeastern Championship Wrestling, Ron Fuller. Yeesh. Ron Fuller confronts Bob Roop about this whole plot, and uh, Bob Roop denied it. Said, "Hey, I'll give up my my spot as Booker, and I'll even I'll I'll quit." Two <laughs> weeks notice, Jerry handed it. Yeah. Look, I have nothing to do with this. This yeah. is, I guess, that's his acts of good faith were like leaving. <laughs> So that he can go yeah. and participate in the promotion that he claimed yes, didn't exist. Exactly. <laughs> Nonetheless, uh, I, I guess also by doing... What was it he said about somebody getting shot in the leg? Yeah, apparently, I think it was Wahoo McDaniel was got an altercation with the fan. Like a fan pulled a knife on him and oh, Wahoo God. McDaniel uh, got his gun and pistol whipped him. Oh. And the act of pistol whipping him, the gun went off and shot Dick Slater in the leg. What a mess. I know. And it was great because in this article, I'll put the link in there from Pro Wrestling Stories. I guess uh, uh, Dick Slater kayfabe the story saying he was hit by a sniper's bullet. <laughs> That's awesome. Anyways. You got to love wrestlers, man. So as soon maybe, as something happens, oh, I can use this. I know. So apparently, uh, uh, maybe one of the reasons that Bob Roop was like, no, I didn't do it. I'll quit. It's cool. And so they can go through the plans of putting that belt 
on Ronnie Garvin mm. because he won the title and then uh, all four of them left. Garvin showed up on All Star Wrestling's TV with that title, Ooh. and then years later he put it for sale on eBay. <laughs> Do we know how much it went for? I can find out. It's in this. I think I believe it's in this article. Nice. I kind of did the Cliff Notes version, but if yeah, you're no, interested great. in the story, it, it's really extensive. It goes into a lot of backstory about a. Uh, uh, Just do a Google search for eBay. Yeah. Was it literally like eBay? He actually put it on yeah, sale I for it was it eBay. on eBay. Yeah, 2005. Oh my gosh. $2,500. Wow. Anonymous collector. I wonder if that was Epico. Interesting. Wow. Fascinating stuff, man. It's weird. Again, they're not getting paid what they think they should, so they do something crazy, like just start their own promotion. Take that promotion's title to the new promotion they're starting. Yeah. Apparently, it was a super easy, easy to get TV back then. Regional television. I know, right? You put on a wrestling show, you start a wrestling company, you get automatically mm-hmm. TV time. Well, they all had all those wrestling studio shows. They just mm-hmm. all apparently had studios large enough for a wrestling ring. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So nobody else. There was, nobody had anything to do back then. Nobody had these. What are you going to do? It's Saturday night. Let's go see the fights. Yeah. Let's go see or some sit in wrestling. Front of the TV. Or sit in front of the TV. We have like three options. Let's watch wrestling. TV, newspaper, radio. That's all they had. Yeah. That's all they had back yep. then. Right, or talk on. to each other. <laughs> Screw that business. Number three. Three. Luthez and Buddy Rogers and the formation of the WWWWF. Yeah, there's a lot of W's in it. So uh, in 1961, the National Wrestling Alliance said, Hey, Buddy Rogers. Guess you're what? A, you're a huge deal. We'll make you a champion. Make you a champion. So he took the title from somebody named Pat O'Connor. Yeah, O'Connor roll. In front of... A massive number of people, 38,000 fans, uh, which set a new North American uh, record in professional wrestling uh, and, uh, and, a, and a huge gate of almost $150,000. Back in 1960s, that's like a huge amount of money. Yeah. Uh, so anyways. Uh, Issue with that, with, with, with Buddy Rogers holding that title, is that uh, other members of the NWA thought uh, he was a little more attentive to uh, promoters up in the Northeast. There's the Namely, act- Tootsman and someone named Vincent McMahon. Yeah. Now, it's, I like this little note here. So at the time of his uh, title win against O'Connor, uh, Rogers is actually working two different jobs in Chicago, uh, but he stopped immediately when he won the title. He was like, oh, yeah, I'm not going back into those jobs. I wonder if he called anybody and said, hey, I'm not coming into job today. And picked up the phone again. Hey, you know, your second job. I'm not coming into you. Hey, you second job. Not coming in. (laughs) Not coming in. I've already told this the first job. So apparently uh, these these promoters in these various territories in the NWA were so upset about Buddy Rogers not wrestling all over the place. They got physical. Yeah. So you had Bill Miller and Carl Gotch breaking his hand. And then Killer Kowalski uh, injured him in Montreal in a match. Uh, and then upon his return from that injury, the NWA is like, we don't want belt on it, on you anymore, buddy. Yeah. We're putting belt back on Luthez. Mm-hmm. So the match took place January 24th, 1963, in Toronto. Uh, buddy didn't want to drop the title. Um, and so the promoter of that match, uh, Sam Muchnick, I think, I believe, who kind of oversaw the St. Louis territory, okay. if I remember correctly, uh, he, he, he guaranteed that... Buddy, we walk in that building sans title in three ways. First, uh, as opposed he had to a three pronged plan. Yes, as opposed triangulation to, across exactly fire. as opposed to a traditional two out of three falls match, which most championship matches were the time. This would be a single fall, one fall. 
second, one fall. Second, you got to put a bond when you get a title. We'll get to that more later. Um, and then uh, uh, Much Nick threatened to give Rogers bond away for charity should he uh, find a way to leave that match with title. Mm-hmm. Third, they had him wrestle Luthez, who like legit could just pin him in like probably thirty seconds. He was the 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 originator of the power bomb. Yeah, seemingly the RKO. Yeah, any number of moves. And yeah, he was a legit shooter. Yeah. So Thez beats Rogers, and then Tutman and Vince Senior left the NWA and started the WWWWWF. Mm-hmm. And on April 11th, uh, they made Buddy their first champ. He had the belt for like a couple months, and then lost it in 48 seconds to Bruno. And then Bruno had it forever. This was kind of it. Yeah, this was kind of interesting too because uh, well, a lot of it's interesting. But uh, the idea that they all liked Rogers, but then Rogers had predilections towards you know McMahon and, and Tootsmont mm-hmm. and other people. Like you get like a bunch of people, you get a, a bunch of people all getting a piece of this pie. There's only enough chance. There's only so much champion that can really go around. Yeah, you know. And so they're like, hey, we don't like you anymore. We're going to put it on Luthez. But McMahon and Tootsmont thought. Well, Luthez isn't really the draw that we want. We don't think he's much of a draw in the New York territory. So we're going to bring in Buddy Rogers. We're going to bring him back, and uh, we're going to make our own territory. Yeah, and then and they independent gave, territory. Yeah, so. and he won the championship in a fictional bout. That actually, that was in Rio. Uh, I think it was in Rio. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. They would go back to that well about a decade and a half later. Mm, yeah. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, he was formally recognized as the first ever WWF champion, April 11, 1963. He had heart problems. He was having he had a, a heart attack. Oh, there it is. Yeah, the, yeah. The president of the WWF, uh, what's his name, Willie Gilsenberg, explained that he had won a fictional wrestling tournament in Rio de Janeiro. Um, so yeah, but then yeah, uh, uh, Buddy Rogers he had heart problems. He had like a mild heart attack. Yeah, and so that's when they decided, hey, they had Bruno come in to squash him because mm-hmm. they want him having a heart attack. Buddy that is in the ring, and then realize they realized that Bruno is just a license to print money. Mm-hmm. So eight years, eight year reign with that title. Yep. So pretty interesting. Yeah, and that was a forty eight second match. Yep. Mm. Squash. They were freaked out. There was a short match because they thought that Rogers might have a major heart attack and. Might die in the middle of the ring. That would be. That's going to bring down business. Yeah, uh, yeah, that would. <laughs> Anyways, uh, let's continue on. Number two. Two. Shane Douglas and the ECW leave NWA. Now you guys have probably all seen this video of Shane Douglas ranting on, listing off all these former NWA people. Well, this met the, the that happened after a match, I believe, uh, against Two Cold Scorpio. Yeah. That was culmination of a tournament to crown a new NWA champion. Yeah, so basically... In 94. Four, yeah. Yeah. So uh, basically, way before ECW was Extreme Championship Wrestling, they were Eastern Championship Wrestling. And like you said, they were just part of the NWA. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, ECW had, had, <clears throat> had honcho Todd Gordon and, of course, Paul Heyman uh, decided to leave the NWA. There was some like a lot of political shenanigans going on. The NWA president, uh, Dennis Coraluzzo, uh, really was seemingly, I guess, wasn't like a big fan of, uh, or he felt, again, he felt that, uh, well, I got, I forgot what it was, but he felt that he basically couldn't trust uh, Todd Gordon and Paul Heyman. Uh, God, who's the other guy? 
like one of the other former heads of the NWA was involved with them. And nobody trusts anybody. They all mm-hmm. felt that there were shenanigans. And so Todd Gordon and Paul Heyman were like, hey, you know what? Uh, uh, the president has requested this tournament take place in our home territory. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to screw the NWA. Yeah. We feel like they're fairly irrelevant at this point, which by the mid-90s they basically yeah, were. Totally were. And so, uh, you know, it was agreed upon that Shane Douglas would make a really fantastic NWA champion. And so the entire NWA were like, yeah, well, he could be champion. And so they're like, cool, awesome. And so uh, he wins uh, in the finals against Two Cold Scorpio, like you said. And then, uh, he, and then Shane Douglas grabs a microphone. He's got the NWA title. And he's like, hey, you know, in the grand tradition of all these great champions, he starts listing off every champion that's ever been. And then he says, uh, they can all kiss my ass. He throws the title down. He goes over, picks up the ECW title, and he basically, you know, uh, you can infer they're leaving the NWA. Yeah, he says, I'm declaring myself a new ECW champion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So on and so forth. And we're the real world heavyweight champion. And then, uh, so then NWA had to do another tournament after that. Like, I think it was a little while after that, too. And I think Chris Candido was the next guy to yeah, have that. Yeah, that's right. But at that point, like, you know, the NWA title was just a whole lot of nothing. Yeah. Paul Heyman has this quote about the whole thing quote the national wrestling alliance was old school when old school wasn't hip anymore we wanted to set our mark we wanted to break away from the pack and we wanted to let the world know that we weren't just some independent promotion this is sad here Cor- uh Luzzo, the nwa president he was interviewed after the event because apparently he was blindsided he declared that shane douglas would be the world champion of the nwa whether he likes it or not he called shane douglas's actions a disgrace and said he would move to have Douglas stripped of both the NWA World Heavyweight Championship and the ECW Heavyweight Championship, uh, calling him undeserving of both titles. Then Todd Gordon made mm-hmm. the following announcement on the next edition of NWA ECW programming. I listened with great interest as the representative of the NWA Board of Directors took it upon himself to inform you that they have the power to force NWA Eastern Championship Wrestling not to recognize the franchise Shane Douglas as a World Heavyweight Champion. Well, as of noon today, I have folded NWA Eastern Championship Wrestling. In its place will be ECW Extreme Championship Wrestling. And we recognize the franchise, Shane Douglas, as our world heavyweight champion. And we encourage any wrestler in the world today to come to the ECW to challenge for that belt. This is the ECW Extreme Championship Wrestling, changing the face of professional wrestling. And, of course, we all know what happened after that. Uh, ECW, ECW, ECW. ECW. Yeah, long story short, Paul Heyman ended up owing a lot of people, including himself, thousands and thousands. Or in his own case, millions and millions of dollars. (laughs) Millions and millions of dollars. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, And these days, of course, the NWA is uh, owned by Billy Corgan and Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah. Because professional wrestling is really weird. It is a weird industry, man. Very strange. Anyways, uh, let's let's take a look at number one. Number one. The small gold belt. Of course, look at that little tiny belt right there. So this was uh, Ric Flair's big gold belt that he left the NWA WCW with, or he left for the WWF, and in its place. That's the replacement world heavyweight title. That's a, that's a little tiny replacement. And what title was it? There. It was a belt that Dusty brought from Florida, right? Yeah, it was a, it was like a Florida championship wrestling title. Yeah, they, some, they yeah, put a sticker on it. Championship wrestling from Florida, something like that. So let's go. Let's, let's, Rewind and, and see what takes us to that moment. So early 90s, you got Jim Hurd. He was head of WCW. Okay. Uh, and he wanted to uh, pretty much ignore everything that Ric Flair had done prior. He wanted Rick to, Rick to shave his head. 
redub himself Spartacus. So like, how would take that, less money? You know, I'm really curious about how that story would it would it would it be like just a Calabac redebut, or would he like transition from Ric Flair to Spartacus? Well, I, I guess here's here's what I would think based on how WCW practiced most of the '90s. Ric Flair had some match, some goofy gimmick loss, um, mm-hmm. and he's gone for three to six months, mm-hmm. and then Spartacus shows up. You don't reference Ric Flair at all. No way. Yeah. Not a chance. Yeah, man. It would have been like a hair versus hair match that he lost, and then, and then I don't know what. And then the rise of Spartacus, huh? I don't yeah, know. I don't get it. I never. Anyways, I wanted clarification on that. Regardless, Flair wasn't into it. So he let his contract run out in July of 91. He signed with WWF and took his WCW world title with him. Now, normally, we mentioned earlier, when champions win a title, they got to fork over a deposit. So if they were to run off of the belt, they'd lose 25 grand. Yeah. That's how it worked. However, with the WCW title, uh, what was known as the World Heavyweight Championship in WWE, Apparently, Ric Flair paid for that belt to be made because mm-hmm. it would co- it cost about the same amount as deposits. So he's like, I'll just fork over the money, get the belt made myself. So based on those grounds, he thought, essentially, I own the belt. He had it made. I paid to get it made. Yeah. It's my belt. Yeah. I can physically belt. take it with me if yeah, I want to. Exactly. So he brought WWF. They dubbed him the one, the real world champion. Mm-hmm. He's the real one. Yeah, the real one. Mm-hmm. However, WCW disagreed. They were like, hey, man, that's our belt. Uh, lawsuits ensued. Uh, eventually, uh, the parties agreed to a settlement. WCW paid Ric Flair forty grand, forty thousand dollars, for him to return the belt. Yeah, and then Ric Flair returned uh, a couple years later to WCW. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they had done this thing like when he came in, which is really weird. Uh, he was wearing the title, and they just pixelated out the title uh, to because yeah, because they're it's freaking pro wrestling and it's weird it is weird and then they just dropped they called him the real and then they just dropped all they that they dropped all that yeah once the lawsuits happened and once the settlement was reached mm-hmm, yeah. yeah and the belt yeah. went back to WCW yeah. and in the meantime didn't Luger win the okay, world so title yeah. so then at the Great American Bash in 1991 uh, Lex Luger and uh, who was the US champion at the time and uh, Barry Windham uh, who was Barry Windham and he was like a perpetually at the top of the NWA uh, they had a match it was a cage match uh, for the vacated WCW uh, or NWA, whatever it was, World Championship. But because they didn't have time to get a new title made, uh, Dusty was like, hey, baby, this is one of my many titles we got over here. I put a little gold plate over it, and I had it engraved over down at, down at Thea's. They got an engraving kiosk there. Uh, things remembered. Yeah, things remember, baby. And it says the World Championship Wrestling. That's the name of our company. And so they, they just... Slap a plate on there. Mm-hmm. I'm sad we didn't we didn't tell the story of uh, the rebrand of the Global Force Wrestling Championship. Oh yeah, into that little plate, the Impact sticker, the sticker I know <laughs> that they put over it. Um, so yeah, uh, there you go. There's all the weird, so weird, 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 stories, weird, weird. And if you know any more weird stories about Tyler, I'm sure they are of legion. Yeah, post them in the comments. We'd love to hear about it. Oh, them. absolutely. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Anyways, thanks so much for watching Countout, and until next time, we'll talk to you later. Goodbye. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. 
Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.